Episode 210, Bonus Edition, Interview with Melissa Emler. Hi, I'm Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Educators, is your passion tank running on empty? Look no further. Gretchen of Always a Lesson has a double dose of just what you need. Come fill yourself up with an empowering educators podcast to start your day feeling empowered. Welcome to the Always a Lesson summer interview series. I've asked some very special guests to bring their wisdom to you all throughout May, June, July, and August. Connecting you with other elite educators is one of my favorite parts of this job as a teacher leader and podcaster. The insight that you are going to gain from these conversations is going to prepare you to hit the ground running during the back to school season. But more importantly, it is going to reignite your passion and your potential as an educator. Are you ready to level up what you bring to the table and how you serve those you lead? Then buckle up and let's go. Today's special guest is a dear friend of mine, Melissa, who goes by the name Missy Emler, and she is in charge of marketing and communications at Modern Learners, and our conversation today is going to talk a lot about what that is and how that supports teachers and students, but to give you a quick background before we hop into the discussion, she is the Director of Innovation at a regional service agency in Wisconsin and the Educational Administration Program Coordinator at the University of Wisconsin Platteville. So she is very much connected to professional development for teachers, whether she's working at her district level or at the university level. And so when engaging in conversations with Missy, her energy and her enthusiasm for learning is contagious. I can, for one, attest to that, which is why I love talking to her. She is a relentless advocate for school leaders and their learning needs as they maneuver their way through this time of massive change in education. Missy's also the parent of three children and has a wonderful husband, and she has opened her home to me to come provide professional development to some of her teachers in her district, and so I'm so thankful for her. She's also been a wonderful accountability partner for me to think things through. Someone in another state in a district set up different than mine where we can really think through some solutions together. Um, She's honest and she's witty and she makes me laugh. So I am so excited. Missy is back on the podcast. She was originally on episode 20, like way back when. She's an OG guest. Um, so I'm so thankful that she's come, coming back to chat with us about all things that have changed. And I'm really excited for what you're going to take away from this interview. So let's hop on in. I'm just so excited okay. to talk to you again. I'm so excited to talk to you, too. Welcome to the Empowering Educators podcast. Hey, Gretchen. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be back. It's been a while, but I'm loving that I'm here again with you. (laughs) Yeah, you were in episode 20. We are almost at 200, if you can believe it. 
Um, that last is time, crazy. I know. Last time we talked a lot about your own experience in the classroom and then and your experience helping other teachers in their classrooms. And in fact, I quoted you on a few things and you might not remember saying these, but I thought they were pretty brilliant. You said, hug what you have and reach for what you don't. Do you, do you remember saying that? Oh, yes. I actually always said that when I worked in um, a small rural school and technology was not abundant Mm -hmm. and I was working really hard to get people um, to hug what they have so that we can show people that we needed more. Yeah. So funny. I actually am. I'm still thinking about that. It's uh, evolved a little bit. I'm actually thinking about learning spaces quite a bit lately. And um, flexible seating is sort of a starting point for that. But Mm -hmm. I'm really actually thinking about all the learning environments and how we can actually just sort of switch up what we have. And I also think that it's funny that you bring that back around to me because I was literally (laughs) just thinking about this today, except that I didn't have the words hug what you have. Now you do. Yeah, when I think about the learning environments, I do think that it's really important that we try to innovate within the spaces that we have because we're not all going to be able to build new schools with beautiful spaces. But as much as it is about, you know, sort of getting to the point where we get to build and design new spaces, before we we get there, we have to know what we're going to do with the space that's any different than what we do now. And the same is true for technology, right? There's so many schools out there that went one-to-one or bought everybody an iPad and nothing really changed because right. we didn't actually know what to do with it. Yeah. And so the hug what you have at that point was definitely all about technology. And now um, I think about it in relationship to learning environments and learning spaces. And I think we can get really creative, but to actually utilize the space and sort of retrofit spaces to actually learn how to behave in new learning spaces. Oh, so good. Oh, I'm, I love that you are here because, yeah, we're going to dive into that in a little bit. But the other quotable moment I wanted to bring up because it actually has a lot to do with the whole learning conversation we're going to have today is you mentioned the rabbit holes are where the real learning happens. And I think that went back to conversations of being in the classroom and it's okay to deviate a little bit with what the kids are giving you because sometimes those moments where you derail with the conversation ends up being where the biggest aha is, where you draw the kid in. Um, And I think that that has a lot to do with your work and trying to make sure that learning is innovative and based in great data and that data can come from those natural conversations, would you say? Yeah. And the the rabbit holes for me, I think the language I would use now um, a couple years later would be just really honing in on inquiry and really allowing ourselves as educators and our students to ask questions and allowing ourselves to explore those questions without worrying about what standard we're missing or what we are not able to deliver mm. because our learners are exploring. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I definitely think the rabbit holes is about inquiry and I'm definitely still all about inquiry. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Can't avoid that. I know. I mean, we were talking a little bit before about technology and you had mentioned in your last uh, episode when you were on here, a few of your favorite 
um, I think they were all apps at the time, but Write About, Classcraft, Imagine Easy, um, Kahoot, Classkick. Is that still something that you would get behind and say these are great, or do you have a new app that you think takes it up a notch? It's really funny. Um, I think that all of those are great. I think most of them are still actually in play. Um, I, the one thing I think that's really interesting about Classcraft specifically is that they've been bootstrapped all, all the way through. Um, and they became a B Corp, which is a business that is really focused on doing good. Mm. Um, and so they've gone through the process of becoming B Corp certified, and they just achieved that last April. Wow. And while I have zero idea about using Classcraft in the classroom, so to speak, because it's sort of my work has sort of evolved in the space of education. Right. Um, so I don't know how it's being used necessarily, but I actually am really proud of the work that they've done in terms of using their business and their platform to do to do good. Um, and I think that speaks volumes. But in yeah. terms of the, the tools in the classroom, I think more than anything, what I've learned is I've stopped talking about the tools and started talking about the function. Right. So when yes. people start talking to me about what they're trying to do and what tool they should use, I, I always ask what they want to accomplish. Like, mm -hmm. what's the function of the tool? And um, I have worked um, with tools that have really helped educators be more intentional and retrospective um, about what they're trying to accomplish. And I think it's those tools um, that sort of stand the test of time. And there's other tools that, you know, they, I call it teacher candy. They get teachers really excited <laughs> and students really excited and it reinvigorates us, but then they don't necessarily stand the test of time because um, we get you know, it's novel for a minute or two. And then, you know, the third or fourth unit, you try to incorporate it. And it's almost like a been there, done that. Yeah. Um, and in regards to tools, I think the biggest question that we can answer in order um, to select really great tools for our use in the classroom is where does the agency lie? Like who's benefiting, who's getting the most choice and um, opportunity from the tool? Does it rest with the students because they're able to create and right. and use that tool for a good purpose? Is it more for the teachers to make their jobs easier or is it for the system to gather the data that they need to make good choices for the system? Right. And I think tools are necessary at all levels of agency, but in terms of tying tools to learning, I really work at looking at tools for um, that promote or that where the agency lies within the students. I think that's really important. And I don't know that we think enough about it, um, especially in the world of freemium products and marketing and ambassador programs. Um, like my colleague said, oh, do you wanna be a Schoology ambassador? And to be honest, I, I don't want to do the marketing for the ed tech mm -hmm. world anymore. I'm happy to be like a complete completely invested in the work of Schoology, which we use significantly in our region, but I don't want to be their evangelist where yeah. I feel like <laughs> I have to like sing their praises. I like literally want it to be used for student learning and I, I can, I don't want to be their marketing department. So yeah. that's where I am with tools and stuff. I've, I haven't necessarily evolved. I think I've always thought that, but you know, I'm just more conscious of how I come to a tool 
and how it functions in the classroom and then how I distribute it. Well, I love two things that you've brought to light in this conversation is one, you're willing to say, hey, I've grown since I've shared some of these things with you. And this is why I've kind of altered my perspective or the way that I look to utilize the information that's in front of me now. And you're talking to such an important part of we can't just say, okay, we use this app or we use technology check. You know, I get my credit. It's if it's not moving the needle, if it's not doing a better job than the teacher could be doing, then we don't need to be using it. It's got to really help the student better understand at a level that the teacher couldn't do for 20, 30, you know, students. So I love that you brought it up that it's not so much what the tool is called or that it's the latest craze, but, you know, who is it serving and in what ways is it doing that? And if it seems to pass that test, then great, use it. Absolutely. Without a doubt, that's the way we have to look at tools. And and when we it comes to purchasing, I don't know if I said this in the last podcast, but I always say this anytime I can. Work with your colleagues to look at tools together to make sure you're looking for a tool that serves the purpose and you're making purchasing decisions or choices in the classroom based on the purpose you're trying to serve. It'll keep your kids safer in terms of online digital privacy, safety, and security. And we need to be cognizant of that. So there's lots of freemium tools out there that may or may not have the same level of security that um, schools and districts and state legislatures want for our students. And I think it's really important. A lot of times people say, oh, my district can't afford this or they can't afford the paid version of that. And I think that it's important that we don't just assume that and that we actually give our leadership the opportunity Um, to lead in that regard so that, you know, I worked with a school the other day who had over 200 apps and extensions being used throughout the district um, through their Chrome toolbar. And there was only, there's so few of them were actually vetted um, by our state's um, privacy, safety, security, digital consortium. And so there's only about 80 that had been vetted and approved in this one district had lots and lots of apps and extensions being used um, in the district that they didn't even really know about. And so anytime you approve, you know, the one-click sign-on and approve like Google or Facebook or whatever to sort of have access to your computer for the one-click sign-on, we have to make sure that those people we're giving that access to are willing to keep our kids' data safe and Um, we don't always think about that and we don't always know about it. So it's so hard because I used to be that teacher who wanted to try everything out. Mm -hmm. I'm still that teacher. I like technology. (laughs) I like to try things. I know you do. (laughs) But I'm still like, I I wade into the water a little slower. Um, Interesting. And I make a little bit more intentional decisions about that um, just because of everything that I've learned. And I, I hate fear mongering. So I'm not necessarily afraid I just can't unsee what I've seen. And so I just encourage others to sort of look for that. (laughs) I think that's the whole message so far in our conversation is intention and just being self-reflective and taking a moment to really think through the choices we're making for our students. Absolutely. So in, in relationship to that one other major way that I've changed, are you sitting down? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so I used to be one of those 
techie teachers that would be like, just give the kids their device for crying out loud. This, you know, the engagement is not an issue. If it's the teacher's ability to manage the class or to engage the students through the use of technology, stop trying to shut it down and don't try to block it out and all of those things. Now, I'm still not in any way, shape, or form trying to say that kids should not use their technology in school. In fact, I would totally fight against, you know, I, I would go down kicking and screaming if, I, you know, cell phone hotels and things like that <laughs> yeah. in, in classrooms. Like, it's those are not my gig. However, I've recently um, became aware of an organization called the Center for Humane Technology. And they have a podcast called um, Your Undivided Attention. And it is fascinating. They talk about how technology is designed and what the ethics behind the design are and what the measurement of success in the tech industry is. And so much of what those success metrics are in the tech industry are directly connected to the level of attention they um, they garner and sustain. And so when the technology is being designed to keep us inside of that specific piece of technology, then we can't talk about how it's really only, um, we can't talk about how you know, it's the teacher's job to engage them and the teacher's job to manage the behavior and being on the technology as a behavior. Yeah, it is a behavior. But when the tool is being designed to uh, hone in on the attention, then we have cause to be a little bit more concerned. And so that's where I'm thinking um, differently about technology and technology use. And I'm definitely connecting to the Center for Humane Technology. And I would highly encourage people to check out that work and that podcast. Um, that sounds and, good. I'll and, put that in the show notes. Yeah, it's super fascinating to me. And for having been the techie teacher and, you know, quick to say, don't change the policy to like shut down the cell phone use or computers or anything like that. I'm starting to take pause on um, and, and starting to expect that technology companies do a better job of um, thinking about how they design the products. And, and even um, just in the algorithms, there's things that the tech companies can do um, to the algorithms that would be less attention demanding. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to think about that. It's funny. Here we go with that attention again. It's it's not just for the teachers, but that the tech companies creating these learning apps that they are intentional about how the students are going to utilize them. And, you know, at the end, what is the, the product? What's the outcome um, that you want them to have so that they're productive and thoughtful humans? Yeah, and that it ties directly into the socio-emotional work that so many schools are doing and the digital literacy and keeping kids safe online, all of those pieces are super important. And I believe that the Center for Humane Technology um, will be the leaders in that space. So keep your eye on them. Cool. I think they're going to do great things. Hey, y'all, I just want to take a quick second to let you know, support for this episode is brought to you by PowerSchool. They know teachers go above and beyond for students. But teachers need help too, especially as they're asked to do more every day. 
And that's why PowerSchool, now with Schoology, combines SIS, LMS, and assessment technology, empowering teachers with more time for what really matters. Visit www.powerschool.com slash time for teachers to find out how teachers are using technology to unlock student success. PowerSchool, time for teachers. Awesome. Well, you talked a little bit earlier about how things have changed for you in your career in terms of what it is you do in education. So fill us in with this uh, modern learner's background that you have. I mean, you've been still doing what we know you to be doing, leading teachers in your district, but you're also helping out this company, Modern Learners. So fill us in. Right. So I work at a regional service agency in Wisconsin, and I I'm the statewide systems coach for Universal Design for Learning, which is like really amazing work. I also work on the educator effectiveness team um, in my region. And of course, I do technology as well. But I'm also um, I'm also a co-owner in the Modern Learners uh, work. And I work with Will Richardson and Bruce Dixon in that space. And we have created a social online community that's closed, essentially. And the reason it's closed is because we believe that all good work happens in small groups. And we believe that education is in between stories of what it is and what it will be. And we're imagining the possibilities Mm -hmm. inside of our modern learners community. And we've created a social space, but it is not algorithm based. And it is a safe place for conversation and discourse. And we are really, really enjoying that work and getting to know um, our members who come from over 30 countries around the world. And so we can't really let the politics be the barriers because every country's politics are a little bit different. Um, But we're really focused on learning and what's possible in our learning spaces. So So it's modern learners means like we as adults are learning in this modern world. Is that kind of where you're going? Yeah, it's so we have the modern learners lens, uh, which is made up of like a Venn diagram of three specific circles that overlap. And the first circle is our beliefs about learning. Mm -hmm. So you if you've ever heard Will speak anywhere, he always asks the question, uh, how do you believe children or people learn most powerfully and deeply? And so we have to hone in on what we believe to be true about learning. Mm-hmm. And then the second circle is uh, context. So that's where the modern comes in. So we have to look at the context of what's happening in the world, both in the world of school, in the world of work, and just the world at large, mm-hmm. and make sure that what we believe about learning connects to what's happening in the world. It's important that we hone in on what's going on in the environment and what's going on um, with equity and terrorism and all of those pieces. Like what are what's the new curriculum? What's the new story that we should be discussing? And how do our beliefs about learning make those modern contexts um, accessible? Right. I so love like that. how how are we accounting for what's happening in the world in our schools? And are we making room for that? And then the final circle is practices. What are we doing in our classrooms 
that honor what's happening in the world and connect to what we believe about learning. So that's like the application piece. Application piece, absolutely. So, so often what we do in schools and what we do in classrooms may or may not match up to what we believe about learning. Mm -hmm. And, you know, case in point, you know, there's lots of, you know, let's be real. Standardized testing is real. It is a lot of times the piece that many of us teachers are very frustrated with. We think it misrepresents what's really happening in our classrooms. And yet we have very little agency over what that is. But then we don't take advantage of the opportunities we have to sort of adapt what we're doing in the classroom to match what we believe. And so, you know, we talk a lot about assessment as learning and not instead of assessment of learning. Mm. And um, that's that's really interesting where the students have to assess themselves. Like, are they learning something through this? activity or um, this question, um, are they learning and how do they know? That's and so, so it's purposeful. not really about, yeah, it's not really about if we as teachers know they're learning, do they know? Mm-hmm. And then what, you know? And then, and then what? How do we create the learning experiences that they are seeking? We, we don't want them to feel motivated and passionate to learn only outside of school. Mm-hmm. We want them to make learning a part of what happens in school. And it's definitely a part of what happens in school, but we have to make sure that their curiosity is peaked mm-hmm. and not stifled. Yeah, amen to that. Well, you were mentioning uh, universal design for learning. So let's get that out there of, of how you describe yeah. that. I love universal design for learning. <laughs> <laughs> it's like super important. Um, it's all about designing the classroom experience. So I rarely talk about lesson design or creating a unit plan or anything like that. I always talk about creating and designing an experience, Mm -hmm. a learning experience. And so I think the first test of, you know, how, how we're doing in that work is do our kids find joy in our classrooms? And what is the source of that joy? And hopefully the source of that joy is that that curiosity and that wanting to learn more. And in universal design, that's that's the goal. So universal design would say that um, curriculum is the barrier for learning and for students. And so we never need to fix students. We just need to... Um, create the spaces and the experiences that remove the barrier or where the barrier is less evident. And we do that by helping the students become, the goal of universal design is for the students to become expert learners. And to do that, you know, we have to talk a lot about what it means to be a learner. And we look at, you know, are they purposeful and motivated? That's the engagement realm. Mm -hmm. Are they strategic and goal-directed? And that's, you know, how do they represent their learning? And then um, are they resourceful and knowledgeable? And when they are all of those things, then we have met the goal of UDL, which is to create expert learners. And um, so there's a series, you know, there's the UDL framework, which if I'm 
rolling out universal design to a group of people, I never start with the framework. Interesting, because that's probably what they want. (laughs) Tell me what to do. (laughs) Yeah. And actually on the CAST website, CAST.org, is it's, you know, the work that they do at Harvard for universal design. They have a really awesome resource um, of the UDL framework that is clickable. And when you click on each of the pieces, it'll take you into more explanation. I'll have to link to that. That's great. Yeah, how to implement those strategies in the classroom. But before we get to the framework, I think we really have to dive into um, creating expert learners and what that actually means. And then also recognizing um, that we are actually designing experiences that are specifically related to a specific goal for the learner. Well, I don't think you would have a hard time getting teachers on board because I think they all became teachers because they wanted to help kids learn. And then you get in the structure and you're like, wait a minute, I am not free to be creative like I thought I would be. And you're seeing Mm -hmm. students' interest levels dwindle and that's, you know, frustrating. And so when you withhold that framework, it's like they're, they're itching to get back to the thing that they hate the most that's constraining them. And it's like, we've got to help them think beyond that barrier, as you called it before, but then also you have to mesh the two worlds. And I think that is where a lot of teachers need the support is I love this idea. I'm on board. Like that's exactly why I became a teacher, but I don't know how to make that happen in my classroom or in my school or in my district. And what would you say to them if they had that response? Well, that's exactly what it is. Um, We get stuck because we know the word that we are trying to deal with is engagement. And so when students don't necessarily do what you ask them to do, or they seem unmotivated or unengaged, we know that that's an issue, but we rarely dig deeper with the questions. And some of the questions that you can ask for to address engagement is, are learners eager for new learning? And are they motivated by mastery of learning itself? And then you ask, are the learners goal-directed in their own learning? And so the way that they become goal-directed is to guide them in setting a goal. And if the learner can't set a goal of what they want to learn with what's happening in the classroom, then we have to recognize that we need to do some more inquiry to find what it is that we can help them set a goal to meet. The other pieces, the other questions related to engagement is to know how to set challenging learning goals for themselves. Like, do they even know how to do that? Do they ever have the opportunity to set the learning goal through conferencing or whatever? And then how do they sustain their effort and resilience? Do they recognize when they're asking you to to go to the bathroom because they're bored or they have a task that's too hard or they just need a break? they think that they need the biological excuse of going to the bathroom Mm -hmm. instead of saying, could I just take a walk because I need to think, right? So we we need to just retrain the brain that you don't have to ask to go to the bathroom to leave the room to, to get out of doing this. You might just need to say, I need a break or I need to take a walk so I can think. And that's, that's how they, but they have to know that that's okay. And then finally, Can they monitor and regulate their emotional reactions that would be impediments or distractions to their successful learning? So do they recognize when they're distracted? And what do they know how to bring themselves back? 
And do they know how to communicate that? This would be like the dream classroom. I mean, I want to come in after the kids have been (laughs) through this process. Well, and I think it takes a long time to create an environment where kids know how to do that. But it also takes time for the teachers to know what questions to ask and to know how to lead students uh, in a goal-directed activity where the students set their own goals and set out to learn, you know, within the goal of the curriculum or the standard, what is it the student wants to learn? Because there's so many ways we can assess a standard and through, there's so much content we can assess a standard through. But if they never have the opportunity to set the learning goals and it's all directed um, by the the teacher, then we're missing an opportunity. So at Modern Learners, we actually call that co-constructing the curriculum or the learning experience. Um, we like to design that with students. Um, That's so cool. And, and UDL would be in tune with that as well. Yeah, it absolutely would. Um, I know, you know, offline we were chatting a little bit about modern learners and you were mentioning unspoken truths. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, that's Will's realm. And he he often talks about, um, you know, we have all of this, we know a lot of things about learning. We know a lot of things about um, child development and whatnot. So one of the things that he always says is, you know, we know that it's best practice um, for adolescents to sleep in and go to school later. Mm-hmm. But, but how many of us are willing to do, to change the schedule? Right. Um, he, it, I don't want to steal his thunder. He says a lot of things that are, in a sense, common sense. You know, mm-hmm. when we talk about learning, we always, we talk a lot about comparing and contrasting achievement and learning. And we live in a world right now that is very focused on achievement and success criteria. Right. And those pieces are rarely determined by the learner. And they are rarely connected. You know, they're not necessarily disconnected from learning, but it's certainly not. Learning may or may not be measurable. And we're doing a whole lot of measurement. Yeah. And like in the hierarchy of things, I don't know that people would put that towards the top when they think about their own learning, at least their own, like you said, joy of learning. Oh, right. So, so Will often quotes Seymour Saracen and Seymour Saracen says, and I can tell you that this is true because we've asked this question a lot of times. uh, How do you define learning? And as educators, we take it for granted. We are in the business of learning but not many of us can define it. Hmm. We can define teaching. We define teaching with flipped, and we think we're defining learning because we call it flipped learning, blended learning, cooperative learning, peer learning. Right. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a ton of adjectives in front of learning. But in reality, those are teaching methods or strategies that hopefully produce learning. Mm-hmm. But if we really hone in on what's learning, what is learning? that is open for a lot of discussion. And in the professional learning communities, you know, the DeFores talk about their three questions. Uh, What do we want students to know and be able to do? How will we know um, if they have or have not learned? Mm -hmm. And then what are we going to do if they have or have not learned? Mm -hmm. And 
we we have a hard time potentially agreeing on how we know if they've learned other than some arbitrary success criteria set at the state legislature or through a testing bank, you know, Mm -hmm. like learning may or may not be measurable and learning is definitely natural. It happens in natural environments and school isn't always the most natural environment for learning to take place. Amen. I'm like, it's deep stuff. I know. I like need. (laughs) I try not to be that deep at this time of night because (laughs) I just try to, but you know, sometimes you got to go down that road. (laughs) Oh my God. I need to listen to this episode quite a few times because you gave me a lot of things I want to think about, but obviously hosting the show, I can't pause to think. So I'll, I'll just wait until I get the replay. (laughs) That'll be perfect. And Uh, I, and it's, we, whatever we're thinking about, it's, those are the conversations that we need to have with our colleagues. And, you know, a lot of times, and I've been so guilty of this, you know, I'm pretty passionate about what I believe to be true about learning. And sometimes it flies in the face of teaching. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean for it to, I just think that we have to get out of our own way. And we really have to get the focus back to learning. And more than anything, we have to recognize that we are learners. And so I started this conversation saying, oh, I used to think that, right. but now I think this. Mm-hmm. And I, that's because I've been on a learning journey yeah. every day of my life, the learning journey. So I used to say to my staff all the time when I was a principal, I'm not asking you to change. I'm asking you to learn. And I think that's mm-hmm. what I, is the most important thing to leave your audience with is, you know, really honing in on what you want to learn and how that impacts the learners in your classrooms. Amen. <laughs> if you have, <laughs> oh, like, I hate being in church sometimes, but you know, sometimes it's like real. Like, you really have to, you really just have to hone in on learning, and it's not about change, because if you learn, you will inevitably change. Well, that gives everyone permission to give it a try. I think you're you're taking the uh, the choice out of it as you have to, or you're putting choice into it. It's not that you have to, but hey, you're you can be open to this and still be who you are. Absolutely, and um, you get a choice in what you learn. Right. You you can set out on the learning journey. I actually, there's so much to learn that we'll never know at all. But just kind of pick something and let yourself dig in. Well, you were mentioning, um, Mm -hmm. again, something offline that caught my attention is you were saying there's new stories of education. And that's something that, you know, you're behind when you talk about modern learners. And I know we're getting towards the end of the interview, but I did want to touch on that. If you had a few seconds to dive deeper into what you mean by telling new stories. Well, so Peter Block, who wrote the book Community, in his book, he says all change is linguistic. And so... I really believe that we are at a phase of in, in education that is telling new stories. And we are starting to hear about, about kids who have done amazing things. And those kids may appear to be outliers at this moment in time. However, if we loosen up the reins and start to you know, really think deeply about learning and create 
the conditions for learning by designing joyful experiences. I think there'd be fewer outliers and there'd be more stories. And so we just need to really work on telling the stories of the teachers and the learners and the schools that are creating the experiences that promote joyful learning. And more so than, uh, this really happened, um, but schools that put a billboard up saying that they had X number of kids score this well on the right. state test or right. this many students taking AP courses or, you know, whatnot. Yeah. How are we celebrating all of our learners? And how are we celebrating learning more than achievement? That's the real question. Yeah, I that's think... the news. That's the new story. I love it because, like you said, we're so hyper focused on standardizing everything and then having some sort of outcome that we're losing the whole point of the process, which is to learn and send kids off into the world and ourselves off into the world and be learners as a skill. And they yes. don't have that. They are, if it's not on a bubble sheet, they don't know what to do. <laughs> right. And that's just it. Our goal is to create expert learners. Well, you had mentioned to me technology. It's not about the engagement. It's about the design. So I'm glad that we really went into that and, and about, gosh, how addictive it can be. And it just becomes habit that we're constantly using it. And now a lot of technology is smart enough to have algorithms. And it's just hurting that learning process. But as we talked about at the top of the show, like, Technology doesn't have to be a horrible thing, and it's not so much about the tool. It's it's more about what we're using it for, and so I absolutely love the love-hate relationship of technology, but we've got to make sure teachers are really thoughtful and purposeful in what they're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. You talked about Modern Learners Community. Can you tell us a little bit more about that before we uh, end this chat? Sure. So Modern Learners Community is um, a free space online. And again, it's a safe social space where we talk deeply about learning. And uh, we have all kinds of different conversations, um, both started by our members and also provocations shared by our community hosts. And everyone is invited to this social space. Um, lots of people talk about how social media is um an interesting space these days and it's all driven by algorithms. And so we end up in the echo chamber or um, maybe some nasty stuff goes on um, in our community, modern learners community. You can join us and have a focused conversation about learning and we're there to support you in your own learning as well. And you, like I said, anybody can join us at modern learners community and I'll be there to say hello and welcome you in. And if you come in, Tell me that you heard me on uh, the Empowering Learners uh, podcast, and I will be super excited to connect you. Gretchen, you've got to get into this community, and we'll connect all of your people. That'd be awesome. <laughs> that sounds good. Um, how else can they connect to you personally if they have follow-up questions about things that you've shared? Um, is there an email address you're willing to share with us? Yes, I'm just, uh, well, I'm missy at modernlearners.com. My name, y'all know that it's, I'm not even, 
from Texas, so I have no idea why I said y'all. But anyway, <laughs> well, you're talking um, to me, and I say y'all. So that, works. that must be it. At that that southern thing you got going on. Um, <laughs> but I'm Missy at modernlearners.com for email, and then I'm Melissa Emler everywhere on social. And Melissa is my name in written language, and Missy is my name in spoken language. And that's the only way I can help people understand why it's different. But it. Missy at modernlearners.com, and I'm Melissa Emler everywhere on social. <laughs> I got to ask you one more question, and that is just, since we've been talking about learning, how is it that you keep up to date on what the latest and greatest things are as you do this work? I read profusely. And I also listen to a ton of podcasts. And to be honest, I read like a variety. I'm, I'm not just in the education space. Um, and I also look for look for things to read that are counterculture to what the most popular hashtag is saying. Hmm. And so I kind of find I really work hard at uh, looking at what's out there, what people are reading on social, and then finding the counter culture part of that and then finding some balance in it because it's not all whoop, whoop. I'm a very whoop, cheerleader kind of person but if we really want to learn and we really want to do the best work for our kids it isn't just you know roses it's it's kind of a lot of thorns too but you have to find the balance boom a quotable right at the end I couldn't have asked for better I do my best. Anything for you, Gretchen. Oh my <laughs> we started goodness. this journey together like so long ago. And I, I just think it's amazing you're on 200 episodes and I applaud you for it every single day. Thanks I made so it to much. 50. Well, I made you, it to 50. Yeah, on the vendor floor. Is, is it still out? Oh, it's still there, but I haven't looked at it in years. And it, the the people that I interviewed, they're like still there and doing good work and I've still remained connected. But yeah, it's, it's definitely, I'm sure the tools have evolved a lot <laughs> just as I have. Yeah. See, that is the whole point of the episode. And that's what I love, you know, just give something a try because you are constantly learning. You are the perfect example of a learner. Thank you. <laughs> well, thanks for being on the show and for chatting all things that modern learners, anything we've talked about, I will definitely put in the show notes. Thanks so much, Gretchen. Have a great night. All right, bye. Wow, wasn't that an empowering message from my friend, Missy? I wish you could have heard the whole conversation. I had to cut out what felt like maybe hour at the beginning, an hour at the end of us just catching up and talking shop and um, pulling back the curtain on everything that we're facing and, and how we're thinking through it and problem solving. And she's just a wonderful person to have as a thought partner. So I highly suggest if there's something that resonated with you in this episode, please reach out to Missy. Everything she mentioned today and every way to contact her will be in the show notes. All you have to do is go to alwayslesson.com, click on podcast, you'll find this episode and connect with her. She's so easy to talk to. She is ready and willing to help and she loves what she does. If you couldn't tell, she is on fire for education and she always puts the learner first. She doesn't care what the tool is and she doesn't care what the structure is. She's all about how can learners continue to, to grow? And, you know, we talked a little bit about the environments that students are learning in and the variety of tools that are at um, their fingertips these days. And the most important thing is that kids are learning and, and they're not 
just using something to use something and sitting somewhere to sit somewhere that they're actually engaged with what it is that they need to learn and she models that and how she learns and how she goes and finds her information and how she problem solves and gives things a try and tweaks it and tries again so I definitely look at her as the epitome of what a learner should be and should do and I'm just so thankful for her. Um, so please, y'all, connect with someone that makes you better, gives you a different perspective, pushes the boundaries and how things are in education to make sure they are truly what's best for kids. And um, connect with Missy. I mean, what a great resource. All right, Elite Educators, that is a wrap for this week's special edition interview podcast with Melissa Emler, podcast number two on the record. Now go out and be great because you've just been empowered.